We'll read verses 21 through 23. Matthew 27, 21 through 23. <clears throat> the governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They, and they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. May the Lord's word have a blessing upon your day. All right. Happy Sabbath. Um, some of us are still maybe recuperate, recuperating from the high dosage of tryptophan that we had a couple of days ago. Uh, turkey overdose. Um, hopefully we've gotten over the naps, processed, metabolized <laughs> all of that out of our system. Um, I'm so thankful to have, we have a church family as well to celebrate and to pray with us when we're hurting, when we have issues. It's wonderful to know that we can make just a few phone calls and the entire church is praying together. Isn't that wonderful to know that the whole church is praying for us when we need it most? Uh, church family is one of the biggest gifts that we have. Um, as we've done in the past, I would like to pray before we engage in this morning's message. Father, again, I pray for clarity. Thank you for the children, their willingness to answer, and their learning, Lord, just as we are learning, to hear the question and really think about the question. Because sometimes, Father, we get the wrong answer because we haven't paid attention to the question. And Father, this morning we're going to be looking about questions from your holy word. And I ask, Father, that we can answer with our minds and with our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. There are questions in the Bible, and our answers um, make a big deal. They have a great uh, reper repercussions. Um, this morning I'm going to kind of read through a lot of these slides because I, I want us to um, focus on the message and I'm going to do my best to stay on track because this is a big sermon that I've had to whittle out many things to just focus on what I feel God wants us to, to think about this morning. We're going to go through th three different tiers of illustrations. Hopefully if this thing can, can stay connected. There we go. Um, we will go through th three tiers of illustrations to be able to understand what is a right answer, a wrong answer, and a bad answer, and how all these relates to the big question in our lives. And I know we have some teachers here present, and they may know what is the difference between a wrong answer and a bad answer. 
Um, to understand what is the difference between wrong and bad, I'm going to ask you a question. Is this answer right, wrong, or bad? 2 plus 2 equals 5. Wrong. Good. Right. <laughs> um, things about wrong answers, like this morning, right, uh, with the children's story. Getting a wrong answer is not a big deal. We can quite easily remedy this. We can visually demonstrate that 5 does not add up to 2 plus 2. Through some simple means of using $1 bills or anything, rocks, anything, uh, we can uh, argue with an individual who is convinced that 2 plus 2 is 5. We can bring that individual to rationally realize that 1, 2, 3, 4, 2 plus 2 equals, oh, 4. Um, rationally, we can approach this person and correct a wrong answer. Wrong answers are not difficult. Bad answers are. This is the bad answer. 2 plus 2 equals green. Is this a right answer, wrong answer, or a bad answer? It's a bad answer because it goes beyond being wrong. This is an irrational answer. How can you correct someone when you say, what's 2 plus 2, and they say to you, green? How can you correct that? Getting a bad answer is a big deal. It is very difficult, maybe almost impossible, to correct these kind of answers. Its premise is irrational. And what we realize is we have to go back and correct many other previous false ideas or beliefs this person may have, such as colors are not the same as numbers. How can, we, how can someone convincingly demonstrate to an irrational person that numbers are not the same as colors? That's challenging. That's challenging. And we don't often stop to think and ask ourselves, are the answers that I'm giving individuals in regards to faith, religion, convictions, my personal faith, religion, and convictions, are the answers that I'm giving individuals right answers, wrong answers, or bad answers? Bad answers do not really answer the question that's being asked, such as 2 plus 2 equals green. That's not an answer. In fact, bad answers get in the way of ever answering the question asked. So the person most negatively affected by bad answers is not the person who asked the question, but the one who attempts to give a bad answer. The person who answers and believes truly that 2 plus 2 equals green, imagine them trying to balance their checkbook. Imagine them trying to pay off a car loan with that kind of belief system that 2 plus 2 equals green. 3 times 7 equals burgundy. How far will you get along in life with those kinds of beliefs? And we're going somewhere with this. This is the first tier, trying to differentiate between what is a right answer, a wrong answer, and a bad answer. Because we're not talking about math this morning. We're talking about our capacity to recognize when we ourselves are giving bad answers and not aware of it. And we're going to use um, tier number two for this. And uh, I guess we're not as set up. Maybe we are. I'll do it. I'm going to need a volunteer. We'll do a Democrat. Okay. All right. All right, Luke. I've, I've already asked you this from a previous children's story. Right there. What is, what is your favorite car, Luke? I don't know. Well, we pretend you're driving your sister's Raptor. The red one, the, the GT, okay? She's letting you borrow it, okay? You're in the driver's seat. 
Now, this is your driving right there, okay? You are driving at that speed. And um, I'm holding on to my, your life. Um, let me see if I can manage this from here. No, I won't be able to. That's okay. This is you driving. You are driving at 95 miles an hour down 275. All right? Have you ever driven that fast? Maybe I shouldn't ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to incriminate your parents. Um, and worst of all, you're cutting people off. Have you ever seen people drive like that? Yeah. Ooh, they're bad, aren't they? Yeah. And you know what tops it all off? When they don't use their turn signal, right? That's horrible when people do those things. Now we're going to go to the next description of Luke driving. We're going to come to get off the highway and we're going to come to a stop signal, right? What are, you, what are you supposed to do at a stop signal, Luke? Stop. Good answer. But you don't do that. You slow down to 20 miles an hour. That's how you, you relate to a stop sign. You, you only slow down. And while you're driving, here you can use this to uh, illustrate, you are texting, watching streaming videos, and playing video games on your phone while you're driving. So you need to handle it. Well, you, can, you can steer with your knee because some people do that. None of us here, but some people do that. Steer with your knee. So now you keep doing that because I'm clinging to my life and I'm praying. This is me driving with Luke going at 23 miles above 35 and texting and answering and being on Facebook Live and watching YouTube videos and playing video games. Of course, none of us do that. This is hypothetical. I'm stretching it, right? You, know, you will never do that, right, Luke? No. Amen. I'm writing with you. <laughs> now, here's the, here's the, the part. When we arrive at your house, I guess, or maybe you're coming bringing me to church, right? You wanted me to get here on time. We arrive miraculously at our destination. I pry my fingers off the seatbelt and jump out of the car and ask you a question. Look, why do you drive like that? And I want you to say out loud the answer. All right. Thank you, Luke. You may go back to your seat. I hope you guys were able to keep track of all the details of this little illustration because now my question to you is, is Luke's answer the right answer, the wrong answer, or a bad answer? Why is this a bad answer? Why is the question to someone, not Luke, why is the question to someone that drives 95 miles an hour down 75 cutting between people, not using the turn signal, while they're texting, driving, watching videos, playing video games. When I finally get out of the car and I ask them, why do you drive like that? The response is, it's my car. Why is that a bad answer? Because you're right, but why is that a bad answer? Because <laughs> you can't rationalize with them. First of all, I didn't ask them, whose car is this? Because that's their answer. Whose car is this? It's my car. Oh, that's a good rational answer. But to the question, why do you drive like that? The answer, it's my car. Is that the answer to the question? No, it's not. So there are some clues, right? You know you're giving a bad answer when your answer has nothing to do with the question. Are you following so far? I asked him, why do you drive like that? And, and this is what bad answers really are. They are barriers. His answer reveals things about himself he does not want to look deeper into. He would much rather avoid altogether. 
Luke is unwilling to examine his driving habits and realize he is, in fact, a bad driver, hypothetically speaking. Because he already told us he will never text and drive. He will never watch videos while driving, and he will never play video games while he's behind the wheel. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but do people do that? We were coming to church last Sabbath with my family, and on that long stretch of 275, right before we connect with 75, there was a gentleman. Way out there, like the grass was making the noise. So I passed him. I'm like, this, this brother is sleepy. He's, he's overloaded with turkey ahead of time. What's wrong with him? So as I passed him, my wife and I glanced over, and you know what he was doing, right? Those kind of people kill people. And so if I were to pull him over, I remember what my anatomy and physiology professor would tell us that he used to do this sometimes. He would bring his wife's hair dryer with him and would point at people's cars with it. Everybody, <laughs> all of a sudden, would get into the speed limit <laughs> because they thought it was a radar gun. <laughs> if I were to pull that guy over with a blow dryer and then you simply say, I just had a question for you. Why do you drive like that? And he could say, because it's my phone, it's my car. It's a horrible answer. But the, the real reason why it's horrible and bad is because he thinks it's right. Just as much as the individual who's asked, two plus two is green, and you say, no, that's, that's bad. That's not even wrong. That's bad. And the person says, no, no, no. That's the most legitimate answer because it's my answer. It may not be your answer. Your answer might be four, but for me, it's green. And that's the delusion that we are living in a world today, that we are not honest enough with ourselves when we are giving bad answers. Though he may claim ownership of this car, he certainly does not manifest any value or regards for it by the way he drives it. He might say, it's my car, but he treats it as if it was junk, as if he didn't care if he totaled it. Does not manifest any value or regards for it by the way he drives it, nor for the cars or lives of anyone else. Two plus two equals green may only affect you, possibly, but it could affect your family if that's what you believe. How are you going to work a budget, a family budget, when you believe two plus two is green? And if you drive like this, and when someone confronts you with your spouse, says, honey, don't you think you're going a little fast? Dad, the speed limit is... I have two police officers on the back of my car every day that I drive. My two little ones, especially my oldest one, because she reads numbers now. And for the moment she could read numbers, I had a speedometer in the back seat. Dad, it says 55. You're going 56. It says 55, Dad. Yeah. The youngest one, I repeat, she doesn't understand numbers yet, but she is a faithful preacher. They keep daddy at the speed limit. Now, you driving recklessly may not just affect you, but it could affect other people. 
So our false beliefs and our false ideas, our bad answers, do not just affect us. They certainly do. But they also will have repercussions for those around us, those within our sphere of influence. Are you, are you following with me so far, church? Are you with me? We're going somewhere with this. So we're not talking about math and cars this morning. We're driving. His answer does not allow for the option that he does not care for his car. That is just unthinkable. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that I'm a good driver. That's morals. That's ethical. I don't want to go there. Just leave me with my personal choice, my personal conviction. It's just my car. And I'll do with it whatever I want. The irrational answer is, it's my car. It's more for himself than for me who's asking the question. His answer clears him of any accountability to anyone, including, self, including his self-deceived, in-denial self. It's not just simply that it's a bad answer. This is a bad answer that will harm me. It allows me to stay in a state of self-denial, self-deception. The individual that insists that 2 plus 2 is green will never really discover the true answer to that question because his answer is actually the impediment. His, his, his assertion that this has to be the answer is actually the roadblock that will prevent him from ever reaching the true answer to that question, as simple as it is. And an individual that will always answer to the question, why do you drive like that? It's my car. Will they ever improve their driving skills? No. In fact, what they will do is continue to be a liability, a risk, every time they get behind the wheel. Bad answers destroy lives. They hurt. Now we're ready for the third tier. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. He's a Christian friend, and I've changed his name for the sake of the illustration. So we're going to call him Jared. My Christian Jared, my friend, Christian friend Jared, shared with me his most recent body piercing, and, asked, and I asked him, why he got the piercing and the tattoos that he did. That's not him, by the way. That's just a picture. But he kind of re reminded me of Jared. And when Jared was showing me his latest piercing, um, of course, he, I could see some of his tattoos, and I asked him the question as a friend. Why do you get these? This was his answer. It's my body. So I'm asking you this morning, church, is this answer a right answer, a wrong answer, or a bad answer? Why is it a bad answer? Is he answering the question? No. And that's one of the first clues. That's one of the first clues. When the, the answer has nothing to do with the question, it's a bad answer. So much so that green is not the answer to 2 plus 2. I didn't ask him if this was his body. I already knew that. I asked him why he did what he did to his body. And in this particular scenario with this specific individual, I knew some things. We were friends. And as friends, I could challenge his bad answers. You can't do this with strangers. All you'll do is antagonize them and make him more closed-minded to any idea that for the, the right answer and not green. But friendships are huge. Trust is huge in helping individuals go from recognizing and considering the, the possibility that 2 plus 2 is maybe not green. I'm going to put that answer on the possibility that it is not, and I'm willing, open to consider other options now. Only friends can do that. 
And as a friend, I began to challenge this bad answer with him because I knew some of the things he was going through. I knew that my friend was struggling with some of these. I am deeply insecure. I need to know I am accepted. That's why I do this to my body. But that answer is way too painful. It's way too honest. It's way too raw for me to ever accept to you, but especially to myself. So I just simply say, it's my body. It sounds empowering. It sounds like I am in control, when in reality, that answer is a self-deception that I'm actually under the control of other people. I acquiesce and give in to the pressures of my friends rather than to the convictions and, and rational thinking, why am I doing this really? Or I struggle with low self-esteem and I want an external image that will get respect. Or they're fashionable again and I have to be in fashion. Or all my friends have them and I can't bear the thought of being alone. These are not necessarily right answers, but they're honest. And in that sense, they're right. This last one, or <laughs> I got this one or my mom, Pastor, back off. I'm secure. This is for my mom. Really? So do you re regularly call your mom? Do you remember to get her something special on her birthday? When you speak to her, are you kind, patient, gentle, honest, and respectful? If the answer is no, then Jared, why all these tattoos? Why this tattoo about your mom? Is it to appease your conscience? Is it to give an appearance of love and appreciation when in real life it's hardly manifested? Humanity does not like questions. Questions that force us to not revert to these shallow, self-protective responses that make no sense at all, that have nothing to do with the question, and ultimately blind us to areas of our lives that can be remedied. Every human being has hope. But if you insist that two plus two is green, if you are unwilling to yield to the realization that maybe it's, the answer is not it's my car, maybe the answer is I'm a horrible driver, then there's hope. But as long as you cling to green or it's my car, there is no hope because bad answers will keep you from the true answer. Are you following so far, church? Where all these bad answers come from, Pastor? Why are we, why, I recognize, I see myself here. I see myself here. I don't know if you've been able to recognize some of the bad answers you've been giving to some of the questions people have been asking you. Maybe your children are asking you questions, and the answers you give are petty, shallow, and you think, well, it's a child. Well, maybe the answer is not so much for the child, but for yourself. You're trying to convince yourself through a bad answer. These are where all the bad answers come from. At the moment sin entered the world, Genesis 3, 9 through 12 says, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Church, what is, what is God's question to, to Adam? What is God's question to Adam? Where are you? Where are you? He said, I heard your voice in the garden. Did God ask Adam, can you hear me? Is that what God asked? Is this answer congruent with the question? No, it's not. Where are you? I was afraid because I was naked. Did God ask, hey, Adam, are you afraid? Is that the question God asked? No. A bad answer is an answer that has nothing to do with the question. And the moment sin entered the world, 
we are predisposed. This is our default. This is our knee-jerk response when we are being asked questions of character, integrity, morality, and spirituality. We revert to the bad answers. I was afraid and I was, because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you, pay, t- pay attention to this. I never noticed this until I was preparing for the sermon. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman. Is that what God asked him? Who was the question directed to clearly by God? To you. And the answer is, not I, but the woman whom you gave to me. Is this a right answer, wrong answer, or bad answer, church? Horribly bad. Horribly bad. The reason is because Adam is manifesting the symptoms of a human being who refuses to let God be God in a specific area of their lives. It is the most irrational thing a creature can do than to prevent and resist the Creator from manifesting and exhibiting that role in their lives. God is God, but not of my life. How can that be? That is an irrational thought. That's like saying, I'm not going to breathe air, but I'm going to stay alive. That's irrational thinking. And to not let God be God in your life is one of the most irrational. It's at the foundation of every bad answer. Every bad answer. Genesis 4, 5, 6, and 9 And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord God said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? And I never noticed this, that the response is actually silence, stonewalling. You know why? The Bible simply says that Cain was angry, but the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us who Cain is angry at. Someone asks you, Who is Cain angry at? Why? What attention? Yes. His little brother did, but he didn't. So he's angry at God, and God says, why are you angry, and what does Cain do? Have you ever had that look from your kid when you're trying to correct them? when you've cornered them, when you've undone all their little arguments as to why it's not their fault. Connie, have you ever had? No, you have not. I know you have not. (laughs) My wife has done that to me. When she is, she has removed all of my shallow excuses for why I have not done something that I knew I should have, and my pride is alive and well inside of me, I do this. while she's talking to me, while she's talking to me. That's Cain, and that's an answer, and that's a bad answer, because that answer has nothing to do with the question. It was too painful for Cain to give an honest answer. Yes, I am angry. I can't believe you're showing favor to my little brother and not me. I can't believe you're not accepting the best of my produce. What's wrong with you? I'm actually not angry at him. I'm angry at you. 
that's too raw, too honest, by a heart that refuses to let God be God. Because had Cain gone that route, God would have said, but you know this. You know I require blood sacrifices. You know I require this. You are resisting my authority in your life. Thus, you have become irrational. That's why you can't reason with someone that you tell them, you're driving horribly, and they tell you, it's my car. That's an irrational response, and they will never change. And Cain's irrationality leads him to not just, just never change, but eventually he, he rides over his brother. He kills his brother. He slaughters his brother because of bad answers. Where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Is that what God asked him? Is that a right answer, wrong answer, or bad answer? Horribly bad. And because of this bad answer, it wasn't affecting God as much as it was affecting Cain himself. The last one that we will look at this morning, there are many others. Matthew 27, 21 through 23. James read this for us. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release you? This is Pilate. They said Barabbas. This is a coherent answer. Which of the two do you want me to release you? Barabbas. Okay, that makes sense. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, Crucify him. Okay, they're answering the question. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Crucify him. Is that a right answer, wrong answer, or bad answer? Bad. Are they answering the question? Because it's too painful. It's too painful, too raw for them to say, we know he's innocent. We know he has done no evil. But he reveals the evil in me. And I can't, I can't handle that. So rather than deal with my evil, I much rather deal with the Jesus. Kill him. Get him out of my life. I can't have someone telling me I'm a bad driver. I can't have someone telling me my answers are wrong. I can't have someone telling me, no, it's because you're a bad husband, you're a bad wife, you're a bad daughter. No, I don't want to hear that. I must rather embrace the answers. It's my car. It's my body. It's me. It's my life. It's my money. So crucify Jesus and let me keep my bad answer. Bad answers cost these individuals their eternal life. Bad answers will keep you from the truth. And the truth is not information, but Jesus himself, he said it. I am the way, the life, and the truth. My word is truth. Bad answers will keep you away from conversion. They may keep you in the church. They may keep you with positions in the church. But you will never have a heart that has changed because when the, answer, the questions come to your life, your answers are completely bad and you are unaware that you're giving bad answers. Any more than these individuals that say, it's my car, it's my body. That's why I wear jewelry, it's my body. That's why I wear these things because it's my body. That's why I eat these things, it's my body. Those are horrible bad answers. And they're harming you. You who are giving those answers need to stop giving bad answers and begin to examine what's behind them. What's behind them? The irrationality of sin. What would you have me to do, Jesus, to do with Jesus? Pilate asked. Crucify him. That answer is answer, answering the question, but the second one, why? What evil has he done? Who cares about that? Just crucify him. 
So we give irrational answers to when we are asked, why did you do that? Why did you say that? Why did you eat that? Why did you wear that? Why did you drink that? Why do you drink that with your coworkers when you know it's, the Bible says you shouldn't? Why do you talk about these things when you are in certain settings? Why do you eat things that the Bible says that God did not create? See, the irrationality begins with the small things. That's why in Daniel chapter 8, when, when Daniel chose, when Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself, he was actually choosing to be a rational, thinking, logical human being. And God blessed him with tenfold wisdom because he was choosing to reject any kind of irrational thinking in his life. And he was doing that by letting God be his God in Babylon, letting God be the Lord of his life in Babylon. It made him a rational being. But to have resisted at the table of Nebuchadnezzar, to have said, well, it's my body, I'll, I'll do whatever I want with it, that is that irrational thinking. And when you become irrational thinking, whatever in your life you're becoming irrational about, that is an area of your life you have not surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Whatever in your life you're giving bad answers to, it is for your own benefit to recognize that that area of your life you have not surrendered to God. He is not God of your life, not all of it. Why do you wear that? Why do you drink that? Why did you go to? What kind of answers do I give? It's my culture. It's my money. Hey, it's my body. It's my time. It's my life. Hey, back off. It's my kid. It's my car. The answer, it's green. These are all bad answers. And these are answers that I've given for almost two decades as a Christian. And as a pastor, for decades, I have heard as the reason why Christians practice things that they know go against what the Scriptures present to us. The issue is not with what the Scriptures say. The issue is with God's authority in their lives. They have yet to yield. You know, this idea of submission and yielding to the Lord sometimes gets decompartmentalized and detached from a word that we love to use because it, it involves feelings or sometimes we, we sprinkle way too much ideology of, of feelings behind it. And it's the idea of worship. But you know, Worship in its purest form is complete submission based on trusting love. That is the purest worship you can bring to God. Submission and trust based on love for Him because you recognize He first loved you. That is true worship. It's not coming to church on a specific day or the right day. It's worshiping God with my body my life, my everything. Not wanting God to be God in our lives will make us irrational about everything in our lives. Not accepting Jesus as my Lord and King will make me irrational about everything in my life, and I will be the last person to know it. I will be convinced, as irrational as it may sound, I will be convinced that two plus two equals green, that I drive this way because it's my car, and that I do the things that I do because it's my body. So in closing... The, body, the Bible presents a very tender but very pragmatic appeal. 
Romans 12, 1 and 2. I plead with you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the wrath of God, by the mercies of God. How many of you guys have received God's mercies? You should be raising your hands whether you know it or not. Lamentations 3.23 says that his mercies are new. You know how often? Every single morning. You wake up receiving God's mercies because you wake up alive. You wake up with breath in your nostrils. And that should be enough reason for you to say, thank you, Father. Thank you for another day in which I can learn more about your grace and your love and your faithfulness to me and that I can respond. So Monroe Church, I'm pleading with you by the mercies of God, the ones you've received already, that you present your words, your what? Your body. I thought it was for you to do whatever you want. No, not if you're going to worship. Not if you're going to worship. I, I plead with you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your what kind of worship? Rational. Rational. The most irrational thing any human being can do is deny God the worship God deserves because of his mercies that he has bestowed upon you, because of the cross. The reason, the one reason the book of Revelation presents why God is worthy. Revelation chapter 5. You are worthy because you were slain. That's what the Bible says. You are worthy because of the mercies you lavished, a humanity that hated you, a humanity that said, crucify him. You willingly gave yourself at the cross. Our bad answers become completely naked and bare and embarrassingly evident to us at the foot of the cross. That's where the power of the bad answers begin to unravel, when I begin to behold the mercies that God has bestowed upon me. And lack of capacity to recognize bad answers in my life and lack of willingness to even consider that I'm giving bad answers is evidence to me that I have yet to go to the foot of the cross or that I haven't been there for quite some time. And I've forgotten. I've forgotten. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your rational worship. And do not be conformed to this world with your bodies, with your life, with your time. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what part of you? Your mind. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. God's will which is good and pleasing, and perfect. How many of you guys want to be transformed? Have a new mind? But that doesn't come by accident. It doesn't come by wishful thinking. It, becomes, it comes by time of introspection. Time before the searching word of God, Hebrews 4.12. Psalms 139. I was repeating this verse this morning as I was, um, I've been memorizing it. Psalms 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The searching of bad answers is not being left to me, but I am willing to submit to the searching word of God and say, Lord, show me if I have bad answers because those are hurtful. Search me and see if there be any hurtful way in me, but don't just reveal to me the bad answers. Lead me to the right ones, the righteous ones, the holy ones. I want that. I don't want to give my wife bad answers. 
I don't want to give my children bad answers. I don't want to give my brothers and sisters in church bad answers because it will not hurt you as much as they will hurt me. It could even cost eternal life. There's a Christmas song that the Oakwood uh, Christmas cantata, if you don't know yet, it's going to be happening in just a few weeks in December, and you're welcome to come. It's going to be in the evening. Some years ago, the, the Oakwood Christmas cantata had this song sang by the children, and it has stayed in my mind all these years. It's a powerful, simple little message. It ends with this question. What will you do with Jesus? What will your answer be? Will you receive him in your heart this Christmas, this Thanksgiving, this New Year's, this Valentine's, this your birthday, this your anniversary, today? Will you receive him in your heart today? Will you crown him as what? Your king. Tell me, what will you, not your wife, not your dad, what will you do with Jesus? Stop using your children as excuses for not committing to the Lord. Stop using your parents for excuses for your spouse. What will you do with Jesus? Your answer is the key. My rational response, I invite you to read out loud with me if this is something that you want. Lord, I offer you my body as a living sacrifice. My God, I give you my mind to know and worship you alone. In presenting my mind and body to you, I give you my culture, my money, my time, my life, my children, my marriage, my possessions, my all. Father in heaven, May by the power of your spirit, what we have read out loud be a sincere prayer from our heart. O oh Lord, in mercy, search us. Reveal to us the bad answers that we desperately give to others, hoping they will believe it when sometimes we don't believe them ourselves. Father, forgive us that these bad answers reveal that there are areas in our lives we are resisting. We are procrastinating. We are rejecting your authority based on the cross. Father, you are worthy of all, our, all of our allegiance and faithfulness and worship because of your great mercies. Forgive our callous hearts that respond in such mechanical ways. We don't want that kind of a religion. We want a relationship. Father, I pray for my heart and the hearts of my brothers and sisters. What Psalms 139, 23, and 24 says, we pray, search us, confront us by your Spirit when in our homes we're giving our families bad answers, when in our jobs we're giving our co-workers bad answers, when in the church we are giving each other bad answers. Father, transform our hearts, renew our minds, that the answers we give are righteous, honest, and true. Mostly not to others, but mostly to ourselves. Father, thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you for his cross. And thank you that in him we find freedom from this self-deception. In his name, lead us to the truth. Amen. Amen.